For the Love of Books by Michael Austin. Today we're continuing with Little Women, Chapter 9. He glanced at her frizzled head, bare shoulders, and fantastically trimmed dress with an expression that abashed her more than his answer, which had not a particle of his usual politeness in it. I don't like fuss and feathers. That was altogether too much from a young from a young lad than herself, and Meg walked away saying petulantly, you're the rudest boy I ever saw. Feeling very much ruffled, she went and stood at a quiet window to cool her cheeks, for the tight dress gave her an uncomfortably brilliant color. As she stood there, Major Lincoln passed by, and a minute after, she heard him saying to his mother, they're making a fool of that little girl. I wanted you to see her, but they have spoiled her entirely. She's nothing but a doll tonight. Oh dear, sighed Meg. I wish I'd been sensible and worn my own things. Then I should not have disgusted other people or felt so uncomfortable and ashamed of myself. She leaned her forehead on the cool pane and stood half hidden by the curtains, never minding that her favorite waltz had begun, till someone touched her and turning... She saw Laurie, looking penitent, as he said, with his very best bow and his hand out. Please forgive my rudeness and come and dance with me. I'm afraid it will be too disagreeable to you, said Meg, trying to look offended and failing entirely. Not a bit of it. I'm dying to do it. Come, I'll be good. I don't like your gown, but I do think you are just splendid. And he waved his hands as if words failed to express his admiration. Meg smiled and relented and whispered as they stood waiting to catch the time. Take care of my skirt doesn't trip you up. It's the plague of my life and I was a goose to wear it. Pin it around your neck and then it will be useful, said Laurie, looking down at the little blue boots which, had, which he evidently approved of. Away they went fleeting and gracefully for having practiced at home, they were well matched and the blithe young couple were a pleasant sight to see as they twirled merrily round and round, feeling more friendly than ever after their small tiff. Laura, I want you to do me a favor, will you? said Meg, as he stood fanning her when her breath gave out, which it did very soon, though she would not own why. Won't I? said Laurie with alacrity. Please don't tell them at home about my dress tonight. They won't understand the joke, and it'll worry Mother. Then why did you do it? said Lori's eyes so plainly that Meg hastily added. I shall tell them myself all about it and fess to Mother how silly I've been. But I'd rather do it myself, so you'll not tell, will you? I give you my word I won't. Only what shall I say when they ask me? Just say I looked pretty well and was having a good time. I'll say the first with all my heart, but how about the other? You don't look as if you were having a good time, are you? And Laurie looked at her with an expression which made her answer in a whisper. No, not just now. Don't think I'm horrid. I only wanted a little fun, but this sort of doesn't pay, I find, and I'm getting tired of it. Here comes Ned Moffat. What does he want, said Laurie, knitting his black brows as if he did not regard his young host in the light of pleasant addition to the party. He 
You put his name down for three dances, and I suppose he's coming for them. What a bore, said Meg, assuming a languid air, which amused Laurie immensely. He did not speak to her again till supper time, when he saw her drinking champagne with Ned and his friend Fisher, who were behaving like a pair of fools, as Laurie said to himself, for he felt a brotherly sort of right to watch over the marches and fight their battles whenever a defender was needed. You'll have a splitting headache tomorrow if you drink much of that. I wouldn't, Meg. Your mother doesn't like it, you know, he whispered, leaning over her chin as Ned turned to refill her glass and Fisher stooped to pick up her fan. I'm not Meg tonight. I'm a doll who does all sorts of crazy things. Tomorrow I shall put away my fuss and feathers and be desperately good again, she answered with an affected little laugh. Wish tomorrow was here then, muttered Laurie, walking off, ill-pleased at the change he saw in her. Meg danced and flirted, chattered and giggled as the other girls did. After supper, she untook, she undertook the German and blundered through it, nearly upsetting her partner with her long skirt and romping in a way that scandalized Lori, who looked on and meditated at lecture. But he got no chance to deliver it. <clears throat> for Meg kept away from him till he came to say goodnight. Remember, she said, trying to smile for the splitting headache had already begun. Silence a la mort, replied Laurie, with a melodramatic flourish as he went away. This little bit of byplay excited Annie's curiosity, but Meg was too tired for gossip and went to bed, feeling as if she had been to a masquerade and hadn't enjoyed herself as much as she is expected. She was sick all the next day and on Saturday went home, quite used up with her fortnight's fun and feeling that she hadn't sat in the lap of luxury long enough. It does seem pleasant to be quiet and not have company manners on all the time. Home is a nice place, though it isn't splendid, said Meg, looking about her with a restful expression as she sat with her mother and Joe on the Sunday evening. I'm glad to hear you say so, dear, for I was afraid home would seem dull and poor if you, to you after your fine quarters, replied her mother, who had given her many anxious looks that day. For motherly eyes are quick to see any change in children's faces. Meg had told her adventures gaily and said over and over what a charming time she had had, but something still seemed to weigh upon her spirits, and when the younger girls were gone to bed, she sat thoughtfully staring at the fire, saying little and looking worried. As the clock struck nine and Joe proposed bed, Meg suddenly left her chair, and taking Beth's stool, leaned her elbows on her mother's knee, saying bravely, Marmy, I want a fess. I thought so. What is it, dear? Shall I go away? asked Joe discreetly. Of course not. Don't I always tell you everything? I was ashamed to speak of it before the younger children, but I want you to know the dreadful things I did at the Moffats. We are prepared, said Mrs. March, smiling but looking a little anxious. I told you they dressed me up, but I didn't tell you that they powdered and squeezed and frizzled and made me look like a fashion plate. Lori thought I wasn't proper. I know he did, though he didn't say so. And one called me a doll. I know it was silly, but they flattered me and said I was a beauty in quantities of nonsense, so I let them make a fool of me. 
Is that all? asked Joe, as Mrs. March looked silently at the downcast face of her pretty daughter and could not find it in her heart to blame her little follies. No, I drank champagne and romped and tried to flirt. It was altogether abominable, said Meg, self-reproachfully. There is something more, I think. And Mrs. March smoothed the soft cheek, which suddenly grew rosy, rosy as Meg answered slowly. Yes, it's very silly, but I want to tell it, because I hate to have people say and think such things about us and Laurie. Then she told the various bits of gossip she had heard at the Moffats, and as she spoke, Joe saw her mother fold her lips tightly, as if ill-pleased that such ideas should be put into Meg's innocent mind. Well, if that isn't the greatest rubbish I ever heard, cried Joe indignantly. Why didn't you pop out and tell them so on the spot? I couldn't. It was so embarrassing for me. I couldn't help hearing at first. Then I was so angry and ashamed. I didn't remember that I ought to go away. Just wait till I see Annie Moffat and I'll show you how to settle such ridiculous stuff. The idea of having plans and being kind to Lori because he's rich and may marry us by and by. Won't he shout when I tell him what those silly things say about us poor children? And Joe laughed as if on second thoughts, the thing struck her as a good joke. If you tell Lori, I'll never forgive you. She mustn't, must she, mother? said Meg, looking distressed. No, never re repeat that foolish gossip. Forget it as soon as you can, said Mrs. March gravely. I, I was very unwise to let you go among people of whom I know so little. Kind, I dare say, but worldly, ill-bred, and full of these vulgar ideas about young people. I'm more sorry that I can express for the mis mischief that this visit may have done you, Meg. Don't be sorry. I won't let it hurt me. I'll forget all the bad and remember all the good. For I did enjoy a great deal, and thank you very much for letting me go. I'll not be sentimental or dissatisfied, Mother. I know I'm a silly little girl, and I'll stay with you till I'm fit to take care of myself. But it is nice to be praised and admired, and I can't help saying I like it, said Meg, looking half ashamed of the confession. This is perfectly natural and quite harmless if their liking does not become a passion and lead one to do foolish or unmaidenly things. Learn to know and value the praise which is worth having and to excite the admiration of excellent people by being modest as well as pretty, Meg. Margaret sat thinking a moment while Joe stood with her hands behind her, looking both interested and a little perplexed. For it was a new thing to see Meg blushing and talking about admiration, lovers, and things of that sort. And Joe felt as if during that fortnight her sister had grown up amazingly and was drifting away from her into a world where she could not follow. Mother, do you have plans, as Mrs. Moffat said, asked Meg bashfully. Yes, my dear, I have a great many. All mothers do, but mine differ somewhat from Mrs. Moffat's, I suspect. I will tell you some of them, for the time has come when a word may set this romantic little head and heart of yours right on a very serious subject. You are young, Meg, but not too young to understand me, and mother's lips are the fittest to speak of such things to girls like you. Joe, your turn will come in time, perhaps, so listen to my plans and help me carry them out if, you, if they are good. 
Joe went and sat on one arm of the chair, looking as if she thought they were about to join in some very solemn affair. Holding a hand of each and watching the two young faces wistfully, Mrs. March said in a very serious yet cheery way, I want my daughters to be beautiful, accomplished, and good, to be admired, loved, and respected, to have a happy youth, to be well and wisely married, and to lead useful, pleasant lives with as little care and sorrow to try them as God sees fit to send. To be loved and chosen by a good man is the best and sweetest thing which can happen to a woman, and I sincerely hope my girls may know this beautiful experience. It is natural to think of it, Meg, right to hope and wait for it, and wise to prepare for it, so that when that happy time comes, you may feel ready for the duties and worthy of joy. My dear girls, I am ambitious for you, but not to have you make a dash in the world, marry rich men merely because they are rich, or have splendid houses which are not homes because love is wanting. Money is a needful and precious thing, and when well used, a noble thing, but I never want you to think it is the first or only prize to strive for. I'd rather see you poor men's wives if you were happy, beloved, contented, than queens on thrones without self-respect and peace. Poor girls don't stand any chance, Belle says, unless they put themselves forward, sighed Meg. Then we'll be old maids, said Joe stoutly. Right, Joe, better be happy old maids than unhappy wives or unmaidenly girls running about to find husbands, said Mrs. March decidedly. Don't be troubled, Meg. Poverty seldom daunts a sincere lover. Some of the best and most honored women I know were poor girls, but so lovely, so love-worthy that they were not allowed to be old maids. Leave these things to time. Make this home happy so that you may be fit for homes of your own if they are offered to you and contented here if they are not. One thing remember, my girls, mother is always ready to be your confidant, father to be your friend, and both of us hope and trust that our daughters, whether married or single, will be the pride and comfort of our lives. We will, Marmy, we will, cried both with all their hearts as she bade them good night.